Welcome to this month's podcast of Red State Blue Mom. Mama Bee here to discuss current national and local topics as they pertain to the lives of all Americans in general, and especially to those of us here in the state of Tennessee. As the kitchen is the heart of any home, I am again bringing kitchen table issues to you directly from my country-style kitchen right here in Appalachian, East Tennessee. Doing so in the most heartfelt and informative way I know how. I want to thank longtime listeners and any new listeners who have recently joined us for downloading this podcast. After listening to this podcast, please feel free to contact me at redstatebluemom at gmail.com with any questions, concerns, or criticisms, or leave a comment on the podcast's Facebook page. I trust y'all had a wonderful and meaningful 4th of July, whether you were on vacation or having a staycation. If you were listening to the news, you would have heard that beginning on Monday, July 3rd, and continuing through the holiday week, including the 4th of July, scientists told us our planet experienced the hottest average daily temperatures in the last 125,000 years. If this happened in the first week of July, what will temperatures be like next month in August? Can you guess what Mama Bee and her daughter were doing during the hottest week in history so far? Door knocking for her political campaign for Tennessee's District 51 vacant House seat special election in Nashville. Lao Tzu, the ancient Chinese philosopher, founder of Taoism, and author of the Tao Te Ching, one of the most translated texts in world literature, told his followers in the 4th century BC, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Mama B, creator and host of the Red State Blue Mom podcast, launched in August of 2020 AD, told her daughter when she began her campaign, Every day, just put one foot in front of the other. Do what needs to be done. Keep moving forward. And don't let the good old boys get you down, whether they have a D or an R after their name. Whether you win or lose, you've given the good old boys a run for their money. I think you listeners, but especially you ladies out there, would agree with both Lao Tzu and Mama B's sage advice. I definitely want to share a few things with you from my campaign door knocking experience, but first, I feel I need to give you a little backstory about my personal history. If you have been a regular listener of this podcast or have binge listened to all 32 episodes so far, you have heard me say, I grew up in what mainstream religions, psychologists, sociologists, and others consider a cult. Because of this, I feel I know something about religious brainwashing, how difficult it is to leave a tight-knit and controlling group, what it's like to start over in life with very few life skills, 
and also how long it takes to be deprogrammed from the fear of the unknown and long ingrained thought patterns. The Jehovah's Witnesses are very conservative, have non normative religious beliefs, are exceedingly patriarchal, and are not politically active in any way. They do not vote, nor do they salute any flag, nor do they stand for any national anthem, nor will they ever fight in a war or give allegiance to any country. Because of this, in World War II, the Nazis gave Jehovah's Witnesses their own triangulated star color designation, lavender, when they arrived at their concentration camps for extermination along with Jews, Gypsies, LGBTQ people, communists, etc. The Witnesses only give allegiance to God's kingdom, and they believe they are the only true Christians on earth. Because of my former affiliation with this faith, I feel I have a better-than-average idea of how Christian conservatives think, view the world around them, and use biblical scripture to justify everything they say and do. I was raised by a mother who was brought up Catholic, but was a practicing Methodist when a Jehovah's Witness knocked on her door and proselytized the truth. To her, as they call their faith, much to the chagrin and irritation of my father. He was then, and to the day he died, an agnostic. My mother obeyed my father in everything except when it came to her faith and what it said God demanded of her. One of those demands was going door to door proselytizing the truth, or at the very least, sharing her faith with someone over coffee like a neighbor or a family member. All this proselytizing was done knowing a minimum number of hours of proselytizing were required to be submitted to the elders at the kingdom hall to show you were doing what God demanded of you. Proselytizing or witnessing, as they still call it, applied to everyone, including young people. If you were, as I call it, an ultra-adherent, You went door-to-door full-time, 40 hours a week. For a few years in my teens, and because I was homeschooled, I was an ultra-adherent. I want you listeners to remember this was decades ago, and things may have greatly changed in this religion since I was a member. But I'm going to say this with some degree of certainty. I'm sure you've had a Jehovah's Witness call at your door at some point in time and offer you their Watchtower and Awake magazines and an opportunity to study the Bible with them. After I left this religion and everyone in it shunned me from then on, including my own mother for a while, I always said I would never, ever go door to door again for any reason. Now, fast forward to last month, June of 2023, when my daughter announces she is a candidate in the special election for her Tennessee House District seat. Never say never is sage advice for a reason. This is the first time I've ever volunteered to work in a campaign in any capacity. 
I think after hearing my personal story, you can understand why. Poll workers and campaign volunteers have always been my heroes because I believe in democracy. Campaign volunteers show us all what democracy is at its finest grassroots level. I found out in door knocking for my daughter's campaign that people are much more receptive to politics than they are to religion. I know that's hard to believe. On the 4th of July, what could be more patriotic and more supportive of our democracy than to door knock, or as it's usually called, canvas? I don't know what canvassing was like before 2023, but I'm amazed at the technology that's available to campaigns in this day and age. A bit more on this will be coming up. My daughter's campaign headquarters is located on her campaign manager's large farmhouse-style kitchen table. Pretty appropriate when a candidate is talking about kitchen table issues. My daughter's campaign volunteers are a fiercely determined group of community-oriented, hardworking, and caring people who want to be sure democracy survives in the state of Tennessee as they work on demolishing the good old boy's brick wall any female in politics in either party is up against in the state. I am sure the good old boys know this group is working against them, even though they have already named a male heir apparent to fill the seat in the interim between the death of District 51's former House representative and the special election on August Third, The designated heir apparent probably thought the special election would be a cakewalk until my daughter and her army of volunteers came onto the scene. I'd like to think he and his campaign are running scared. Hey, a candidate's mom can dream, can't she? At the very least, my daughter is giving him a run for the money that's in that inherited political war chest of his. Getting back to how technology runs campaigns, all my daughter's canvassing volunteers, including me, download an app called Minivan. This app is synced in with the campaign headquarters computers. You download a PIN number for an area to canvas, and balloon-like bubbles show up alongside streets and roads on icons representing homes or apartments that need to be canvassed. In this case, because it's a vacated Democratic seat and with a compressed time period to campaign due to it being a special election, we only canvassed homes or apartments where citizens had voted for Democrats in the last few local elections. Just like with a photo on your phone where you can expand or contract it, the same thing can be done with a map of the territory to be canvassed. When you press on a balloon-like bubble on top of a house or building icon, you get the address and the names of the people who live there, no matter how many. With my cell phone in hand, I would walk up to a door and knock with a campaign flyer in my other hand. I was also wearing a beautiful blue campaign t-shirt with my daughter's name and, in quotes I'll say here, for state representative, below her name, in white. 
check out the podcast Facebook page and you'll see a picture of the t-shirt along with the front of the campaign flyer I was handing out. For anything else you'd like to know about Afton's campaign platform or the candidate herself, please go to her campaign website at aftonbain.com. That's A-F-T-Y-N, B as in boy, E-H-N as in Nancy, dot com. So just so the visitors on whose doors I would knock would not think I was a Jehovah's Witness calling on them, I wore slacks, not a skirt. A lot of homes have camera doorbells so a homeowner can see who's at the front door. I felt wearing a bold blue campaign t-shirt showing who I was representing was a great idea because even if the householder was not home to hand the flyer to in person and chat for a bit, the t-shirt was clearly seen on the doorbell camera and functions as a good advertisement. Also, the neighbors can see the t-shirt while working outside in their yards or looking out their window and have some idea of why a stranger is walking in their neighborhood. On one of the five days in a row I was canvassing, a sanitation worker, after emptying a homeowner's cans into the back of the garbage truck, came up to me to ask about the candidate I was representing as seen on my t-shirt. Unfortunately, we were both disappointed when he told me where he lived and it turned out he was not a resident of District 51. Even so, he wished me and my daughter all the best and a winning night on August 3rd. Also on the minivan canvassing app, there are a few paragraphs of what to say about my daughter and the issues she cares about, and then boxes to check to give the campaign team an idea if the homeowner was definitely going to vote for Afton, leaning towards voting for her, or not going to vote for her at all. Also, a box to check if they'd like a yard sign to let their neighbors and those traveling along their street know they were supporting her. Yard signs are great advertising, especially ones that stand out from the crowd, like I feel my daughter's yard signs do, because they aren't red, white, and blue. Again, take a look at the podcast's Facebook page, and you'll see what I mean. By the time I finished canvassing and left District 51 in Nashville, there were Afton Bain yard signs all over the place. I'll be heading back to District 51 soon to do more canvassing again before the election is over on August 3rd. After canvassing each house as designated on the app, I would swipe right and check a box that either I had spoken with the householder and left a flyer, or they were not home and I had left a flyer in the door. As each street's canvassing was completed, I would press an icon on the app that synced the results to a computer at campaign headquarters. One thing I can say to prospective voters that no one else canvassing could never, ever say is, Hi, I'm Afton's mom. Or, I happen to be the candidate's mother. This was after introducing myself and telling the householder about the candidate and what she plans to do for the people in her district and in the state of Tennessee. Also, I'd ask them if they were aware there is no female representation in the Tennessee House for Metro Nashville at all, 
and that Tennessee is ranked 50th by the University of Virginia's Center for Politics, dead last for female representation in its legislature. Most everyone would say they were not aware of this, and some said they were not the least bit surprised. I would also say to a householder, please give the ladies a chance, and especially, please give this lady a chance. There were a number of times where a prospective voter was not thrilled to be opening the door on a very hot summer day to a sweaty, overheated stranger wearing a forehead bandana so as to prevent perspiration from getting in her eyes. But once I would mention I was the candidate's mother, a smile would cross their face and they would be noticeably friendlier. They would laugh and make a comment along the lines of, well, you get brownie points for being a great mom. And after one 30-something guy said this to me, I laughed and said, I was doing something I never, ever thought I'd be doing for one of my kids. Then he laughed and said his parents have said the same thing to him and definitely not about political canvassing. Then I laughed. A few times while canvassing, I accidentally went to the wrong address due to mixing up house numbers. I thought I would be speaking with a Democratic voter, but instead, the householder turned out to be Republican, or at the very least, a red-leaning independent. There are very few people in this world that I can't carry on a conversation with, and that includes MAGA and QAnon people. I've found there's usually some common ground that can be found with every person, no matter the topic, including politics. After introducing myself while handing him a flyer, one bright red voter whose door I mistakenly went to told me he was a former tattoo artist who felt I was woke and was going to tell him what I learned from the woke media when it came to political issues. I told him I was there on behalf of the candidate, who also happens to be my daughter, and he smiled and chuckled. As he read a bit of my daughter's campaign flyer, he became irritated with her plans to work hard to roll back the dangerous pro-gun legislation recently passed by NRA-backed Republican legislators, which includes a permitless gun carry law. He said he wouldn't vote for any anti-gun people. I told him my daughter wasn't anti-gun, and we were a gun-owning, hunting family, and even my daughter has hunted. I also told him that for years, I've had a concealed gun carry permit for which I had attended a full-day class to obtain. Would he like to see my permit? Oh dear, I'd have to go to my truck to get it, but he said that's okay, it's not necessary. He made a comment that he went to the same kind of gun class years ago too, and he did feel that maybe there should be about an hour's worth of training for everyone having a gun now that Tennessee was a permitless carry state. He also said the problem wasn't guns, but mentally ill gun owners. I pointed out my daughter was in favor of red flag laws, so she would probably agree with him, but is also concerned about domestic abusers having guns, among other not good situations. 
He saw on her flyer that my daughter supports humane treatment of trans kids. He brought up the drag queens he's tattooed and is friends with now and how they wouldn't agree with a lot of the LGBTQ talking points nowadays, especially about trans kids. I told him we know a family with a trans child and life is horrible for them and their supportive family in this state. He didn't think there should be any trans children at all and that there's a study out of Denmark that says trans medical care has been shown to not be good for anyone of any age. I told him I've never been to a drag show and he said, I needed to go to one, and Nashville has a lot of good drag shows. So I asked him if he would agree with my daughter that drag and drag shows should not be a crime in the state of Tennessee. He said he would agree with that, but he does not like people who are groomers and bring children to drag shows, or groomers who push kids to be trans. That the drag artists he knows will not perform if there are children in the audience. He mentioned his son's magnet high school up the street and said educators there are teaching and talking about being gay and trans and encouraging kids to have that lifestyle. I didn't tell him that in Tennessee, these teachers would be fired if, in fact, they were doing this. I also didn't tell him Republicans have ignited yet another culture war this time demonizing the LGBTQ community and trans people in particular. When these topics are constantly being talked about with continual fear-mongering on conservative media and right-wing internet sites, kids are hearing it talked about in their own home or reading about it on websites I don't think parents want them on. Middle and high schoolers are naturally curious at this age And I'm thinking at his son's high school, there's a lot of talking about LGBTQ plus topics amongst each other. But instead of saying all this, I sincerely said to him, shouldn't the teachers at your son's magnet high school be teaching math and science instead? He laughed. And of course, he agreed with me. He hollered for his son to come to the door and meet me. And I said the same thing to his son. His son just looked down and murmured, yes. We talked about a number of other things pertinent to current politics. In all, I will say this. I enjoyed my conversation with the former tattoo artist. In getting ready to leave his front door stoop, I told him I knew he'd never vote for my daughter, so I asked for her flyer back. He said, no, I want to get on her website and take a closer look at her politics. In what I feel was a nice compliment, he intimated he had enjoyed our conversation too by telling me I wasn't as woke as he thought I'd be. And then with a smile, he admonished me to be safe out in the heat. I need to add an addendum here. A few days following my conversation with the former tattoo artist, in a blow to transgender youth and their families in Tennessee, a federal appeals court allowed a Tennessee law banning hormone therapy and puberty blockers for transgender youth to go into effect. 
Before this law fully took effect on July 8th, Tennessee's Attorney General had already won a lawsuit against Vanderbilt University when their clinic serving transgender people of all ages was demanded to hand over all medical records to the state of Tennessee of every transgender person ever treated in their health clinic, lists of their clinic volunteers, patients referred to Vanderbilt's transgender health clinic by other medical entities, and phone records of anyone who has ever even called inquiring about transgender care. These records date back to 2018. I'm going to say here, why do we even have HIPAA laws? If this violation of medical privacy by the government, in this case the state of Tennessee, doesn't make the hair on the back of your neck stand up, then I don't know what will. Is this what democracy looks like? I don't think so. They may be coming for your medical records next, especially if you're a woman and have ever gone to Planned Parenthood for any reason, like for low-cost gynecological checkups and birth control, let alone if you've ever had an abortion. When discussing the LGBTQ community with the aforementioned former tattoo artist, I was surprised he didn't bring up the recent Supreme Court ruling in favor of a devout Christian website designer in Colorado who felt her Christian faith prevented her from being forced by a non-discrimination law in Colorado to design a website for a gay couple. This lawsuit was financed and backed by the Alliance for Defending Freedom, a very conservative Christian legal advocacy group. The web designer who brought this lawsuit to the Supreme Court had never, ever been asked by a gay couple to even design a website in the first place. The gay couple in question were hypothetical. I was very surprised to learn this and had a hard time as to why the Supreme Court would allow a hypothetical situation to even be brought to the court let alone rule in favor of the web designer against the hypothetical gay couple. This ruling can be greatly broadened in its implications for other marginalized people and groups. What do I mean by this? Let's say a Christian-owned business says their faith beliefs are in direct opposition to a Jewish couple's faith beliefs in that Jews do not believe Jesus was the Messiah, but are still waiting for the Messiah to come. Might they post on their website or the door of their business, no Jews allowed or serviced? What about a Muslim couple whose beliefs are centered on the Quran and the teachings of Muhammad? What about a Native American couple who are having a traditional tribal wedding ceremony and are not Christians? A year ago this month, in July 2022's podcast, while referring to the events on January 6th, I said this, quote, I can't help but wonder how close we came to losing our democracy and also having another civil war. What is coming down the road in the next two elections, the midterms this fall in 2022 
and the presidential election in 2024. Will fireworks be shot off to celebrate a peaceful transition of power, or will there be bullets and bombs fired? There is another case coming down the road in this next Supreme Court term ending in June of 2023. It has very great implications for American democracy. The Supreme Court agreed to hear a case in which Republican North Carolina legislative leaders argue that their state legislature, and really each state's legislature, should be free to regulate and have absolute electoral power over congressional federal elections in their state without any pushback at all from other state actors, like the governor, the state's courts, or even the state's voters. The implications here are enormous. Congress needs to get on this before the ruling of the Supreme Court is handed down in June 2023, because at least four of the current justices would likely agree with the Republican North Carolina legislative leaders. Congress needs to pass a statute that ratifies all state regulations dealing with congressional elections that are compliant with state constitutions. Then, any electoral dispute would no longer be between a state legislature and one of its state actors, like the state court, attorney general, or governor. It would be between the state legislature and federal law. Federal law would be the clear winner here, according to the Constitution. The U.S. Congress should also try to ratify all state regulations of presidential elections. This would help foil any state legislative schemes to unilaterally appoint presidential electors in violation of state law. This would circumvent the chance of another coup attempt with an alternate slate of electors. End quote. In this podcast, right now, I am very happy to say that the Supreme Court, in a 6 3 decision, ruled against the North Carolina Republican legislative leaders and the fringe theory of independent state legislatures. I'm especially happy for this decision since the United States Congress did nothing to prevent this independent state legislature theory from going into effect in case the Supreme Court ruled in favor of it, as I thought might be the case. I was also wrong about four Supreme Court justices ruling in favor of this fringe theory. The Republican legislators in North Carolina wanted to make the law of the land. It was only three who decided for it. Doesn't it make you wonder why even three Supreme Court justices voted for something that on the face of it was unconstitutional and destructive for our democracy? At least this term, the majority of justices voted in favor of keeping the last part of the 1965 Voting Rights Act in place. Yay, another victory for democracy too. But the Supreme Court upended affirmative action, which I'll talk about more in next month's podcast. You won't want to miss listening. This July of 2023, the United States of America, 
not really so united right now, celebrated 247 years since it became the world's first democracy. According to a June 28th article in USA Today, saying in part, quote, Polls show there is little excitement about the 2024 presidential frontrunners, and there is a lingering alarm about U.S. institutions. The health of U.S. democracy is something Americans agree about across the board, according to a USA Today Suffolk University poll. It shows 74% of Democrats agree that democracy is imperiled along with 75% of Republicans and 66% of independents. This question does not cut off on political party, said David Paleologos, director of the Suffolk University Political Research Center. In fact, it's a validation that all political factions, whether you're in the left, right, or in the middle, feel that democracy is imperiled. And that's pretty powerful. End quote. In the same article, first term New Hampshire State Representative Angie Brennan, a Democrat in a state with a high concentration of registered independent voters, said, quote, We all have a responsibility to fight for the future of our democracy. It's going to take all of us coming together to increase access and opportunities to vote. The future of our democracy depends on hope, humanity, and hard work, and I'm not giving up on any of that, end quote. As Mama B has said before, even though our country has recently experienced many shockwaves and many Americans are feeling depressed and a deep sense of dread, and uncertainty as to what the future will bring, this is the time to put one foot in front of the other and get moving. Gather together with like-minded people because there is much work to do. As I've heard said, beginning is being half done. Work even in little ways to help democracy, to make it more secure, because even little things, when they are all added up together, help in bringing about the change we all want to see. And I will add here, never say never.